Hello and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Today we're continuing a topic that we started three weeks ago on how do we train and prepare disciple the next generation. Our first week was with Dr. John Marriott on his book, A Recipe for Disaster, on how churches and parents are preparing students to lose their faith. Last week was with Dr. Sean McDowell on his book, So the Next Generation Will Know, discussing how we can make young people a priority. And this week we have the privilege of talking to Jay Warner Wallace. He is a cold case homicide detective, speaker, and author. He is the co-author of So the Next Generation Will Know with Sean McDowell. He's a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and adjunct professor of apologetics at Biola University, where I had one class with him. He's also a faculty member at Summit Ministries and has written other books like Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, and Forensic Faith, and also was part of God's Not Dead, too. So, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us today. Glad to be here. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I think we've, uh, this is, I remember the class we had together. So that was, that's been great. I've seen you now kind of launch an entire ministry. It's been awesome to watch this thing grow. Thank you so much. You know, this is the mm-hmm. fourth time I'm able to interview you, but the first time I can say I'm interviewing a movie star. How does it feel to be a movie star? Oh gosh, I mean, please. <laughs> I um, knew you would like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of this was just, you know, opportunities that come to you and you say, well, should I do this or not do it? And, and what we're really trying to do, is, sadly, and you know this as well as I do, is that it's not so much always just a matter of trying to educate or trying to share truth with the people who are outside the church, but sometimes you feel like you need to share the truth with people who are inside the church. And I knew that movie would be a, a movie that would probably be watched by a lot of Christians, probably more so than, than people who are outside the church. But that's the group that we're sometimes trying to reach to help them see that they could make a case for this if they chose to. And a lot of you, you think, well, you know, you're we're kind of preaching to the choir. Well, not really. If you're teaching the evidence for Christianity to Christians, you may not be preaching to the choir. You may. This is probably why we find ourselves where we are with young people, because even inside the church, not everyone is prepared to even answer the kinds of questions that young people would ask. So I just felt like, hey, that was a good opportunity to maybe uh, raise awareness even within the Christian community to the fact that you could make a case for this. And I think oftentimes that's maybe why young people can't make a case or don't see the need to is maybe their their parents aren't doing it as well. And the adults aren't aren't training them and preparing them in the way that they need to. Yeah, and that's sad, right? A lot of it is that um, we, um, I hate to say this, but sometimes we just catch as kids, our kids catch the thing that we are so excited about that it spills over. So if you're somebody like in my family, we were sports fans, you know, my my dad and his side of the family, they're all from the Dallas area. So these guys were big Dallas Cowboys fans. And so, you know, I would would probably be more likely to catch the excitement of – of that than I would have almost anything else growing up, right? Because that was the thing that would spill over. That, that, that even now, as I sit with my dad and we have conversations, we're far more likely to talk about uh, sports than almost anything else. And usually that's going to be football. So, I mean, whatever it is you're excited about as a parent, you're more than likely going to be passing on to your kids. Now, I don't mean that to be a, a referendum on what it is you're excited about, but I knew that that a part of what we're going to have to do in a book like this and an effort like this and writing with Sean was to help uh, parents become excited about sharing what they believe about God uh, with the next generation. Yeah, and as I mentioned, you've written those other books, and what we're talking about today is your new book with Sean, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. Uh, but you mentioned sports, and one thing I noticed uh, in the pre-sales and, and all of your advertisements leading up to this is you had a lot of uh, athletes write endorsements. You know, the Nick Foles, MVP quarterback, you had George Foreman. How did you get these kind of endorsements for your new book? 
Well, we just meet these folks, right? You meet folks along the way as you're uh, – and I think that, that, that athletes, especially Christian athletes, are uniquely positioned to influence culture, right? I mean we, we know that um, as, as Christian casemakers, as people who are interested in Christianity, um, one of the things we lack is the attention of the, of the culture. If the yeah. culture had all eyes on, on the people who are the most prepared to share the Christian worldview, wow, what kind of impact would we have? So as opportunities started kind of coming up for me to speak to athletes in different settings, you know, at chapels or whatever, I would often meet uh, young Christians. And I was so impressed by so many athletes that that were really excited. You know, Nick Foles is a guy whose real goal post-football is to be a youth pastor. When you meet someone like that whose goal is to do the very thing that we're talking about in this book, well, then you know you have common ground. And we kind of resonated on that one issue. So Nick was very great. I mean, I was grateful that he would be willing to write the foreword. But more importantly, I think we share the same desire um, to, to, to pass on what we believe as Christians to the next generation. These are guys who, who are in a unique position with influence. I, I mean, I used to always say, you know, we can, we can probably ramp up, uh, these Christian athletes, uh, to be as, uh, educated as possible as casemakers faster than we could ramp up casemakers to be as popular as those athletes are. So if all we could do is engage these folks and they are willing. Now, the question is, are we as parents as willing to um, make a case for what we believe, if, if for no other reason, but that our young people are waiting for us to do it? Yeah. And and they want to know, is it true? And you get a chance to do that as an educator. And we were that was kind of what we wanted to do is to write a book that would appeal to three different groups that have hands on experience training up young Christians. So that's going to be number one, you know, Christian educators who are in the high school setting like you guys are, um, like Sean is as well. Youth pastors, which is what I did for a number of years before I started writing books and and also parents who are the first line of defense with young people. So. Uh, you know, like you said, we've written books that are are what books? You know, what is true about Christianity? What is true about God's existence? Evidence books. We've all done that. But this is not that kind of book. This is a book that's a how-to book. So we're not in this book going to teach you what is true about the Christian worldview. We're simply going to show you how to teach what is true to others. And that's kind of what Sean mentioned yesterday, or, you know, last week. I interviewed him yesterday, though. But uh, is that it, this is kind of like a tactics Right. This is the how to approach and having those conversations rather than just your normal apologetic book. And that to me was what was so awesome about it. And that we're giving away a lot of the free content in these two interviews, uh, talking with you and Sean. Uh, but it's barely scratching the surface when you have all the practical tips that you guys put in the columns uh, on on how to have these conversations to parents, mm -hmm. to youth pastors, to teachers. Um, it's it just so valuable. It's stuff that you can implement that day. And, yeah, and that's kind yeah. of the stuff that I think parents and youth pastors are looking for is not all these training that they have to go through, but what can I do right now to make a difference in my group? Yeah, that's the thing we were trying very, very uh, much to try to rein back in from highly philosophical approaches, you know, like, you know, what's, what's kind of the general philosophy? No, we want to get right. Look, when you call a police officer to come to your party to break it up, you, you do not need he's not going to show up and give you the history of what the social conditions were that got you to that moment. <laughs> Instead, you called him in to fix that in five minutes, because guess what? I got other calls waiting and I'm not coming back here an hour from now. We're going to fix this now so I don't have to come back. That's really how practical first responders are, right? We, we have to solve the problem. So there's a side of me that says, yeah, we got a crisis. 
we've got to solve it. We've got to be really practical. We can't circle back around on this thing a year from now or two years from now, especially if you get one shot with our own kids. So I really am looking for those things. And I think that most of us who do that kind of job, who are in that first responder position, we're kind of have a fixer mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, what's broken? Okay, I get it. Okay, tell me what's broken. I see it. I see it. Okay, here are our options. We're going to do this. Just, just do it. Just, just make, the, just make the decision and go. Now, what's great about a book like this is that we, we all have experiences. Sean and I have experiences in these three areas. And a lot of those kind of quick decisions to solve a problem didn't work. They were terrible, as a matter of fact. A lot of my stuff that I did as a youth pastor, I mean, I did that for five or six years, and then I took that group that were like high upper uh, upper um, high school, like maybe seniors and freshmen and sophomores in college, and I planted a church for another five or six years with just young people. So over a 10 to 12-year period, I made a ton of mistakes uh, trying to communicate uh, and pass on Christian worldview to young people. Uh, and a lot of that was just because that's, you know, you make mistakes. If you're if you're not going to sit back and wax philosophic for, you know, days before you do it, you're just going to try to jump in and fix it. You are going to make mistakes. And uh, that's what I think is so great about a book like this, because now I've kind of weeded out the mistakes and now I'm just yeah. going to focus. But I don't want people to read it and think, oh, wow, these guys have all the answers. Well, maybe we have some answers at the end of all these train wrecks. But to be honest, we didn't have these answers along the way. We We had to work through the problems. And, and as parents, there were some embarrassing – I remember some embarrassing, stupid conversations that didn't go anywhere to advance the cause of Christianity with my own kids. So I guess a part of it is this is a series of cautionary tales as well that will help you if you're a parent or if you're a pastor or you're an educator to not do the same stupid things that we did um, and to hopefully be effective. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you you talk about it, that really motivated you uh, to to change the way you did youth ministry was the fact that after doing youth ministry and entertaining the kids so much, uh, a lot of them walked away from Christianity. And even uh, after my first part of this kind of series that we're working on, on deconversion, uh, a, a high school student commented on it and said, this is the problem we're having at our church, where students are graduating, going to college, walking away from the church, and their parents are surprised. They didn't even see it coming. But I know recently you've also been talking about how the deconversion or the leaving of the faith is not taking place necessarily in college, but before that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's what's even more insidious, really, because right, because you say, well, you know, the, the parents don't see it coming. Well, if you ask them when they're 22, when did they first decide this wasn't true? The vast majority will say somewhere between the ages of 10 and 17. And we know that now statistically on like three different surveys in the last five years that have kind of revealed that. And I think that is kind of a wow. So in other words, not only did they are you surprised they left? But even more surprising, they were with you when they left. And now that's good news and bad news. The bad news is, wow, they're with us when they leave. But the good news is they're with us when they're making the decision to leave. So we can actually have a role to play. Part of it is, wouldn't you like to know when your kids are first, like, you know, have that first conversation with somebody at school or that first thing they see online that goes, I'm not quite sure I believe this stuff anymore now. You can have that conversation if you happen to be in a position where your kids are talking to you. And what that means is if if um, uh, if if this is the thing you guys talk about a lot to begin with, if this is the kind of thing that comes up all the time and you're you're comfortable talking about these beliefs while you're at the dinner table or wherever you may be, uh, I think you're more likely to catch it 
when it first occurs, when your kids are first starting to have those doubts, you won't be surprised by it. It doesn't mean necessarily you'll, you'll stop it, but at least you'll know it's happening in real time. Look, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times to other people. A lot of it is I, – I, this can seem overwhelming. It, like do you really need another book as a parent that's going to show you all the things you could be doing better? I mean, that just irritates me. Okay, it just does personally. I don't want another book that's going to tell me everything I'm doing wrong. So we wanted to write a book that would not feel like that. In other words, if all you did after reading this book is adopt one little thing that you pick up, I think you'll make a change. I think that that'll have an impact on the way you're parenting, the way you're teaching, the way you're mentoring and pastoring. I think it would. Just one little thing out of this book could make a difference. And and so you don't have to think like, gosh, because this is not a book, by the way, that will make you feel bad about everything you've done so far. We get it. We've got kids. You know, Sean's got three. I've got four. I, I know what I've got a spectrum of kids. Now I've raised them. They're all adults now. And I've got a spectrum of kids. And I've had different experiences with each child. I, I get it. So this is not a book that I think is going to make you feel bad about wherever you may be. But I will tell you this. If you were to adopt some of these approaches while your kids are still younger or before you have your grandkids or before – you will see a difference in the way you communicate to young people. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, if all this book does is make you more sensitive to the opportunities because you've read about now how we've tried to incorporate these ideas. Now, the next time one of these opportunities comes by – and we talk about how to do this in a variety of different settings. I'm hoping that you'll go, oh, yeah, you know what? This is one of those opportunities they were talking about. Whereas before in the past, you might have let it just slip right by. You might have just gone it might have just gone right by you and you would have missed the chance. Well, I'm hoping if you've read a little bit in advance about how you might capitalize on certain opportunities, when you see them come, you're more sensitive to them and you'll go, oh, this is one of those. And you're more likely, I think, to engage. So that's what I hope is a value of this book. Yeah, well, I want to get into some of those uh, now and and kind of discuss a few of those ideas that you present in the book uh, for the sure. rest of the time that we have. Uh, the one thing I love is in the second half of the book. So we kind of discussed mm -hmm. last week the first part with Sean. Second half is the practical tips. And the very first one you talk about is dealing with students who are just apathetic. Uh, the, yes. the people are just paralyzed uh, by apathy in these conversations. Um, how do you deal with apathy? I just asked Greg Kokel about it. I just did a video of my own about it. How do you deal with apathy? Well, I would be curious to see what, what, so what did Greg say when you asked Greg? You know, Greg and I have, are, are great friends. Uh, he's been a mentor to me for a lot of years and, uh, he's not that much older. Well, he's, yes, he, yeah, he might be <laughs> one generation older, but not, he doesn't feel, I feel like I'm an old man sometimes. So sometimes we feel like we're the same age, but, but I'd be curious to see what did he say? I don't think anymore it's a matter of atheism being maybe the biggest challenge with your students, with your kids, with your kids in your youth pastorate, it may just be apathyism that's the biggest challenge, yeah. this idea that, uh, you know, so what? I mean, I, you know, I can't get excited about this. Um, yeah. So how do you ignite passion? Just out of curiosity, what did Greg say about that? Well, Greg, in, in short, he said, you know, this is the hardest thing that he has to deal with. Uh, he'd much mm -hmm. rather have a conversation with someone who's very against him, but ask questions and challenges uh, than someone who just doesn't really care. Uh, and that he's going to be looking for people that w are looking for him. And I think okay. that's in short of, you know, not wasting our time with people who, who no matter what you say, they're just not going to believe. 
Now, this is the chapter where we decided, okay, uh, um, this is the thing that used to bug me the most, too, is I could – like if you've ever spent time preaching in a youth pastorate or teaching in a classroom, if you're like me, I know who the least interested student is. (laughs) The one that's asleep. (laughs) Sure. But I mean even if he's not not that that, uh, uh, uninterested, I still know that there's – in a spectrum of students, 25 in a class or 50 in a youth pastorate, someone's going to be at the top of that range and someone's going to be at the bottom. It's just the way it is. So I'm almost always – teaching to the least interested person because if I can grab that one I've got the other ones already so I'm always focused on the least interested now I would say this is where a simple strategy that we offer could change everything you do whether you're a parent a youth pastor or a Christian educator and that is simply this two whys for every what I'm not sure if Sean talked about that but this is he didn't I had it for the notes for you yeah so I just think this is the thing that really makes a difference in terms of corners so we typically are, are going blah 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 here's what is true Here's what the Bible teaches. Here's this. Here's that. Here's how to do algebra. It's what, 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 what. We are giving facts, but we don't provide a lot of whys. And I think young people are sitting there, and if they don't even ask it, they're thinking it, or at least they would be energized if you could give them two whys for every what. The first why is, okay, that's the claim, whatever the claim is, but tell me why that's true. Tell me why. On the basis of what evidence? Because you're just making that claim. There's a lot of claims right now, and we're in an yeah. information age where there's a lot of noise. And there's a lot of contrary claims out there. I want to know why you think that is true. Give me some uh, – if it's just your opinion, trust me. Opinions are like elbows. Everyone's got a couple. I don't care. <laughs> you tell me why that's true evidentially. And so I think that's going to be important for our young people to see. That's the first step toward energizing them to be interested. The second one's even more important, though. The second why is, okay, fine. You believe that's true? You've got some evidence for it? So what? Why should I care? Why is it important to me? What, I, 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 why, okay, so how's this going to change my life tomorrow? Because yeah. I guarantee you, I'm going to read something online today that's going to change my life and change the way I interact with people. But is this going to be it? Is the thing you're telling me going to change the way I approach people? We have to help people to see – Young people especially, the two whys behind every what. But even though I'm telling you that as a strategy, by the way, that would change the way you're going to preach if you're a pastor, right? Because you might have had your three what points in the past. Well, maybe now you're not going to be able to get through all three of those points. Maybe you're going to have to get through one of those points, but offer the whys for that point so you can energize your students to see why this cares. How does this affect the way I treat my uh, friends tomorrow or the way I will be treated by my friends tomorrow? How is this going to change the way I see myself, the way I discover my purpose, the way I identify my, you know, my own, create my own identity. Am I creating identity or recognizing identity that's been given to me by God? What, does that matter? Does it? Can't I just decide who and what I am? These are the kinds of things young people I think are trying to figure out. We need to help them to see how sometimes that what might seem like the most benign claim. Um, like I always offer, like the triune nature of God. Okay, that's a claim. That's a what? Tell me why that's true. Why do you think God is triune? And then why would that change my tomorrow? How does that change my tomorrow? I mean, I need to know that. So I think that part of this is is, is making sure that we offer two whys for every what. But even then, I think there are some kind of like um, not not it's like strategies. Uh, and one of them, to be quite simple, is is this. When people tell me they, they find that their their students are relatively apathetic about what it is they're teaching, I want to sit and watch the session. And I hate to say this, but a lot of times I watch the session and I discover the person who's teaching the session is pretty dispassionate themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a model passion. 
I think that 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 companies take on the character of their CEOs, that churches take on the the character of their pastor, that that groups take on the character of their leaders, and, and that's okay. I think God has shaped certain people for a time such as this to lead certain groups. There's a Moses, and when Moses is gone, there's a Joshua, and I think it's okay for you to say, okay, God has shaped you to lead this group. Are you modeling passion for the group? But here's another little trick that I find that is so true, but most of the time we don't talk about it. Often why you don't have passionate people is because there's an obstacle standing between them and the passion they could have. And a lot of times that obstacle is some form of sin in their own life that is the wall that's standing between them and a passionate um, relationship with God. And so for a lot of this, we have to address, well, what is the sin uh, especially in young people, Sean and I have talked about this before because Sean's dad has done so much work on the issue of pornography, even in yeah. the church, that that is often the thing that stands between uh, if you shame, if you have shame about something. And I think it's important for us just to address that. You know, you don't have to address it specifically, but at least to say this, what I just said to you that, hey, some of you in this room are like, are never going to have the kind of passionate relationship you could have with God because you have allowed something to stand between you and Him. And it's usually something that is part of your desire that you have misused. And that the idea of, of, of a healthy desire for, for your, your spouse is a, is a desire that God champions, but it can be misplaced. And so we want to help young people to see that. Also, just other misplaced priorities. I don't know about you, but when I was a youth pastor, it used to drive me crazy just trying to compete with all the really kind of mundane activities that we put in our kids' lives. You know, like uh, on a Sunday, it used to be that that, that in our area that, that nobody would plan a soccer tournament to, to begin at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. That might begin at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. But now I hate to tell you that, that if there's a tournament over the weekend. They're going to have that thing both days. They're not going to respect those people who want to go to church on Sunday. So now I've got to compete with soccer. Uh, I've got to compete with any number. Of, it might just be I've got to compete with the the AP program that you've got your kids enrolled in that takes up every minute of their free time or whatever other activity or it's volleyball camp or whatever it may be. We have got a lot of other priorities that we put out there for our kids that can stand. And, they, and by the way, we expect passion in those areas. You can't do those things well if you're not passionate. What's left over for, for God? God just seems to be the kind of thing we wedge in sideways. So a lot of passion is – is uh, diminished because we have obstacles. And if we have to help both parents and uh, young people try to eliminate some of those obstacles. But let me give you one last thing that I think is is the key to everything. And it's it's something that Sean and, has talked about quite a bit. And um, I, don't, I think sometimes it can be easy just to kind of uh, brush over this. But if you want to, to commit someone to, some, to a proposition, you want to be influential in someone's life, um, and you think, well, I've got this truth claim that I want to share with people. And that's what we do, right? We, we, you and I both do this. We share truth claims with people and we make the case for Christianity. But nothing works as well as truth in combination with relationship. And what that means is that you, uh, as a video producer on YouTube, I do this too, we, we, can, we can very easily um, communicate uh, through a video. But the people who are watching that video don't have a relationship with us, and so we're not going to have the same 
uh, impact we would have if if they knew. Oh, that's Ryan, my brother Ryan, my cut, my my youth pastor Ryan, my teacher Ryan. That's somebody I know who has invested in me, and I know that he's sincere. Because what's what's happening here for this group, and I'm sure that Sean helped you define this when you talked to him last week, is that this group is probably one of the least trusting groups because there's so much information out there that they're not quite sure who they can trust. Relationships helps help you bridge that trust gap that people have, and so I. I think part of it is that we are, are are kind of up here proclaiming truth in front of a classroom and wondering why no one's engaging us in a passionate way because we haven't taken the time to build the kinds of relationships, that kind of relational equity that then bring now. So you might say, well, as a, as a parent, that should be automatic, right? Well, not necessarily. For a lot of us, we get busy and we don't even know sometimes what the challenges are that are facing our kids. I think in the end, even if you feel like you can't talk to your kids right now about you've got a 30 year old and, and that, that 30 year old is not interested in, the, in hearing about church anymore, not interested in hearing about God anymore. You feel like that 30 year old has walked away from their faith, the faith that you tried to raise them in. Well, you know what? Then there's a period of time in which I'm just going to spend investing in relationships. Because it's relationships and truth in combination that are uh, that transform, and if you can't speak about truth right now because maybe the person you raised is not interested in truth, well then now's the time to just invest on the relationship side. Yeah, and I've got lots of atheists in my life; they will not listen to the claims of Christianity right now. They're closed to those claims, but they are open to my building a relationship. And I'm not building relationship for the purpose of, of of selling them something. I mean, I mean, honestly, the relationship side is is a worthy endeavor in and of itself. It's loving people, but if you do that, you will open up the opportunity to share truth, and you'll have the equity to do it. That's so good, you know. And I and I think about a lot of times you've said this, but with like the videos on YouTube and stuff, is oftentimes uh, you know people ask you, you know, what book can I give my kid? And it, it's not about them watching my videos. It's not about them uh, reading your books. It's it's really about the, the videos are for the person who's already interested in this to prepare them so that they who are already in a relationship with that person can have that conversation rather yeah, than right. them just giving them links to my videos when they don't even know who I am or who you are. Right. Now, that's right. One other thing that you kind of talked about at the very beginning was uh, this idea of the, the one what and two whys. Mm -hmm. And I find uh, that sometimes, you know, the students don't know why this matters, uh, but neither does the adult. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have received uh, emails from parents saying, I'm teaching this in, in youth group, and, and the students are asking me why this is important, why do I need to know this? And they're like, what do I say? What, what resources can I give them? And it's like, you know, that's, I think, a big issue is if we're teaching something in a youth ministry, and we don't even know why it's important or why they should care about this, uh, that's going to be very diff difficult for us to be passionate about it to give them that information. And so that's the first step, really, is to help adults uh, understand the importance of this information as well. No, I think that's true. And if, I would say this. If you're teaching something or you've got something been assigned to you to teach or you've, you've started to look at the possibilities of what should I teach and you're either working as a pastor or as an educator or even thinking about what discussions do I want to have with my kids, until you know the answer to the two whys, go to something else. Talk about something else. Now, I'm not saying you should you, – now, you got to take some time to figure out why is this important. But, it, but I honestly think there's enough to talk about in the Christian worldview. There's enough to talk about in the teaching of Jesus, enough to talk about in terms of Christian orthodoxy, the essentials of the Christian faith, that you could understand and already do understand the two whys, that I would focus on those until you're ready to do the others. Yeah. It may also be that if this is a thing that you can't figure out why it's important or how you can justify it, then it might be a non-essential that you're making too much out of anyway, in which case I would move away from it altogether. But if yeah. you can't figure out as adult 
who's been a Christian for some season, why this is important. It may just not be important. So I mean, I'm not sure what your topic is. Now, yeah. I, for the most part, can find a way, and maybe this is just something you develop as a, as a teacher of young people. If you've done this long enough and you've had to engage young people enough, I can probably find a way to contextualize it and give you the second why, which, by the way, I think kids want even more. Why does this matter? Because honestly, um, what you discover is when there's a lot of noise, what the noise that rises to the top is either the most rhetorically powerful noise. So it's just somebody who's funny. It's just somebody who's a good communicator or it's the most important truth claims. The ones that the people think, wow, that's going to change tomorrow. Those are the kinds of noises that rise to the top. So what I see sometimes on social media. So, for example, if you'll notice that like my videos are just talking head videos, I don't even spend a lot of I flip on this camera sitting at my desk and I just now if anyone's going to watch it, it's not going to be because it has all of the animated kind of that's the one kind of noise, right? The stuff that's just rhetorically powerful. Instead, what I'm aiming at are the things that ought to matter. Now, I get it. You may not always pick the right conversation to have with your kids. You may not always find that thing, but you do not have to have flair and, and pizzazz and, and be more rhetorically powerful than the person who's on, on YouTube. You'll see that a lot of influential people on YouTube are just flipping on their webcam, but they're talking about things that young people think will change their lives. And that's where I think we have to be with to show our young people why Christianity actually is not just true. That's the that's that's the first why. But why does it matter? And I'm telling you, that's going to be where you're going to spend most of your time wrestling as a parent, wrestling as a teacher to get to the second why. Absolutely. Well, Jim, we are out of time. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for taking this time to discuss uh, your new book with us. Can you give me a quick, you know, 10, 20 seconds uh, where they can get more information about the work that you're doing? Yeah, of course, at coldcasechristianity.com. That's where we're trying to – we have a phone app there also, and you'll see all the links, including to our Kids Academy, which is designed for 8- to 12-year-olds because we realize, you know, if you're talking about this with high school seniors, you might be having the conversation a little bit too late. Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. I really, right. By the way, I'm one of your fans watching you from afar, so great work. Keep it up. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Coffee House Questions. Go pick yourself up a copy of So the Next Generation Will Know by Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace. And if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or family member so they can enjoy it too. And give it a rate on your podcasting app. Hope you have a blessed week and a weekend. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Ryan Pauly. To follow your love will guide my way.